So it was 2014 and you were about to leave Shaw. Mm. What kind of what, how did you pick uh, Sydney Uni in the end and Wesley? Um, so a big part of that was the fact that mum and dad went to Wesley. They met at Wesley. Um, so many of their best friends that we would go on holidays with or would have over for dinner on weekends were uh, their college friends and, and like their kids. So I think like throughout my whole life, Wesley has always been around um, and, you know, you'd hear the stories and it just like, it just sounded so awesome. And so I think they were very encouraging of me to go there and it, I obviously just had heard the best things about it and it sort of was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, Sydney Uni is obviously a great uni as well. And I think it, it just sort of, I don't know, I, I never really thought about much else, to be honest. I never really considered going into state or going overseas or anything like that. I did think about a gap year um, and then ended up pulling out of that. But um, What would you have done? I was going to do the the um, gappy like school in school in in England, yeah, yeah, um, but ended up not doing that, um, and I'm quite glad I did. Um, Would have been great, but yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, and I think there was as I got closer to that point, something that I did think about more was the fact that Wesley would be. A change of crowd, even though I'm it <laughs> really wasn't branching out very far. Like I'm still going to college at Sydney Uni, but the one drawcard to for Wesley as opposed to the other colleges for me was the fact that it was, even though yes, there was certainly a GPS crowd, a private school influence. It was probably less so than others, and um, they have Wesley's got the quota, sixty percent quota of non-Sydney kids, so. Um, I knew that if I went there, I would I would be close to all of my schoolmates. But at college, it would actually be a new crowd, hmm. which actually which was which was a big draw card for me because I think, and also the co-ed. So I think, you know, having been at an all boys school since I was near three, and you know, I live with my mum and sister, like I, <laughs> I have spoken to <laughs> girls in my life, but really not much, and I'd never. So it was a it was a big draw card for me to, to be in a coed environment because I just think that is just so much more natural and and I loved that about Wesley and I loved the fact that yeah I th- I really think I got the best of both worlds in a lot of ways because I I had some of my best mates next door at Paul's and Drews and I got to know guys like you through them like I got to know all of their mates really easily um, but I also had this this new world at Wesley where I had mates from all over the country, um, from from Kenya, from wherever, um, and it was a new sort of experience just breaking out of the the Sydney GPS scene a bit and uh, that was really cool, yeah. The first thing you did at Wesley was Brawson Cricket Camp, yeah. is that right? That's right, yeah. So, take me back there. Yeah. That How was, did you feel um, walking into that? Oh, very intimidating walking into that college. Like, I was I was pretty petrified. So, I had heard 
I knew two guys that were going to be there that day, which was uh, two guys called Vince Umbers and Alex Grant. Alexander Grant, actually, was how he was uh, introduced to me. Um, but so we went, we went into college a week before O week, I think, um, to yeah for this cricket camp because because Ross and cricket started. Um, it was like the third day of semester or something. Um, so we went in. There was a yeah. There was about five freshers and maybe ten guys from second and third year there. And uh, yeah, we sort of rocked up and just yeah got told to meet in the foyer for the first net session and just like really awkwardly shaking hands with all these guys. And I was I just remember walking into the nets, kind of just being like. Oh God, where? What is going on? <laughs> like this is so weird. Where I just like knew everything was so foreign, and it was a little bit like disconcerting. Anyway, like um, we said, it it was actually the best thing though because we got to know each other very quickly as freshers. Mm-hmm. So we had it meant that we had a group of sort of five mates already by the start of our week which was great. Um, we got to know a few of the second and third years as well, so we knew some of the leaders and, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> I do remember this for the first night though. So, we had this net session and then they were like, right, let's, uh, let's meet up at 5 o'clock and we'll go to the Royal for a few beers. And uh, so, I rocked up thinking that we were going like out in like a college shirt and like nice like <laughs> boots and chinos and stuff. Everyone else is in like literally like thongs, footy shorts, and like singlets going to the royal. Like I was like, yeah, you idiot. <laughs> and um, and we, yeah, I'd never poured a beer before, mm-hmm. and out of a jug. And so I bought a jug for the table, bought two jugs or something, and all of the all the glasses are just like standing up on the table, and I just start pouring without lifting uh-huh. the glass off the table, and that and the two I was sitting with Kirsch and Max and Alex. And Kirsch and Max were just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and every pour was perfect. And they were like, how the hell did you just do that? That's not how you pour a beer. And it worked perfectly. And they just thought I was like some sorcerer until until I could never do it again. Oh, no. And I got kicked out for ordering a, a jug of rum and coke. No, sorry, a rug of jum and coke. <laughs> On the first night. <laughs> the first night. What a start. Yeah, a rug of jam and coke. A rug of jam and coke. But uh, anyway, did you did you give yourself much of a shot of actually making the team? I did give myself a decent shot. So we, yeah. So the Rawson team was the men's cricket team. The Rawson Cup was the men's sporting comp, basically between colleges. And um, so I, yeah, these were basically trials for the cricket. T- team, which is part of that competition, and uh, yeah, no, I, I played all right during the trials, and I think it sort of became clear that uh, by the end of the week, we probably, I sort of knew where I fitted in. I was, I didn't think I was, I was certainly not one of the best players in the team. Like we had probably half the team were uh, really strong standard, and I was sort of, I fit in. I felt like in that bottom half, but but was playing well enough to probably get in, and. Uh, so, yeah, yes, the team got announced, I think, sort of first night of college. Um, and then uh, we had our first game, yeah, two days later. And we went from there, basically. How did that first game go? Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
perhaps I really, I really did not expect it to go as well as it did. It was, it was one of those days where just everything worked and just got, got, it was just, I, yeah, it's just my day. I, um, yeah, we sort of batted first and everyone was sort of going pretty well. Everyone was pretty excited and, uh, I came in at five and made 66, I think. And then, uh, we sort of went into lunch, went back to college for, for lunch and everyone's pretty excited. Everyone's, you know, giving pats on the backs and, um, it was pretty pumped. And then we came out after lunch and, and we bowled really well. I took, um, five for four, I think. And, uh, yeah, we, we actually won really easily. And, and it was just a day for me where I just got really lucky and, and everything that I would try had worked and, they don't, they don't come very often, but it was pretty cool for that to happen, especially on like the really the start of college sport for that year. So, yeah. You know, Alex told me an interesting story about the sledging that was going on. I think particularly McTeer was <laughs> throwing a few, few fiery ones in there. And he said that um, you guys had a chat one night in the Wesley Dining Hall about yeah. how to deal with it. Do you remember? Oh, not well. I said the McTeer would have been the next game against Drew. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, no, can you remind me what? Apparently, um, he said, oh, look, you know, McTeer's just in my head. And you kind of <laughs> looked at him in the eyes and said, mate, it just makes me play better. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I actually do remember that. Yeah, we used to have these sessions before each game where Miles, who was like a – he was – he was a guy who helped with the sport at college. He lived at college with his wife, Bronwyn. And we used to have these sort of like psych-up sessions before each game and it was kind of like talking about – A, it was talking about like, you know, the classic sport cliches of like control the controllables. Um, you know, we've, we've prepared really well. It's out of our hands now. Like just go over and execute tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And we we did talk about yeah the the sledging and how you know that every team was going to go after each other, and um, yeah, I definitely I definitely did say that, and I I it is actually <laughs> true despite it sounds like such a wanker thing. I like I loved being in that contest, and and I think generally I don't know when someone's coming at you, I just sort of I really enjoyed that you sort of because I never I wasn't a big sledger myself. But I enjoyed winding people up by just sort of laughing at them or, or smiling and, and just like getting on their nerves that way, um, which, yeah. It, but being part of that contest is really fun. Yeah. So, you beat John's first game. Beat John's first game. You played Drew's second game. Played Drew's second game. We, we bowled them out quite cheap for 70-odd and, um, and then we chased it three down, I think. So, Max, Hope and I were not out, I think. Scored about twenty each, and then uh, yeah, so that set up the the final against Paul's grand final. A painful, a painful memory, but for some, one we will um, <laughs> relive briefly. <laughs> do you remember the moments that you uh, you guys clinched it? I do, I do remember the uh, the catch. It was the only wicket I took that day too. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there were some nervous moments because we didn't get that many runs and. Um, but we did. We ended up winning by about twenty, and I just—it was one of the coolest memories I have on a sporting field. Is 
that last wicket and sort of all of Wesley basically being behind Jono, who took the catch from me because of where I was bowling and just storming the field. It was like the most easily the biggest crowd I've ever played on in front of cricket, like, sorry, on a cricket field because who watches? Like, no one cares about the standard of cricket I was playing ever. And uh, we had like uh, more than 100 people there and just like storming onto the field and it was just quite surreal, like yeah. just this huge huddle of people and um, yeah, no, just quite surreal really. So, you've taken Pfeiffer in the first game. You've sort of trounced Drews. Yeah. Sorry, McTeer. Um, And then you've taken the final wicket to win Rawson. Yeah. You've pretty much gone from uh, zero awkward, zero fresher to Rawson hero in the space of about two weeks. Do you remember that yeah. uh, kind of actually coming to life? Is that, did it impact the, how people treated you? And Yeah, yeah. And I actually, <laughs> I actually sort of struggled with it a bit. Like it was so such a uh, – it was such a great way to go to college. Like yeah. it was incredible. And and I think I sort of um, – because I – like it was felt so unnatural to me to be the – the Rawson hero in air quotes. And so, I signed, I kind of like hated that nickname a bit, which I think obviously just meant that everyone really, really Lent tried to make it stick. <laughs> um, and But it, it was weird to me because like I, it just felt like a really different reputation. Like it was, I'm, I was so used to at school, yeah, as like we talked about before, like being that quiet guy who's just kind of like, Flew under the radar, was just like a pretty friendly guy that everyone got on with, but was never, never really stood out for anything exceptional. Like, and it was, and then it was, yeah, so different at college where I was such, it, like, everyone knew who I was in the first week, and I was like, this is so bizarre. And, um, yeah, it was like, it, I had a bit of a, like an identity crisis for a while because I was just like, I don't know who I am. Like, this is so, it just felt so unnatural to me. So, you finished Rawson Cricket and now you're kind of more into the, you know, the thralls of college. I mean, if you think back across those two years of college, are there a couple of moments that like really stand out as either just formative or just a huge amount of fun? Like, what kind of, what springs to mind? I think pretty much the whole thing was fun. It was such a good two years. Like, I um, struggle to pick moments, but I know that, like, I I certainly changed a lot in those two years. Like, as I mean, they're formative years for everyone, but I think I just really loved – I loved college in the fact that, like, I had a great group of mates. You got sort of opportunities to do things that I never – thought I would like in terms of like sport but also like um you know like organizing blackball formal and Westock and those sorts of events were really fun um and yeah I think you just yeah struggle to pick moments but yeah I think I certainly just sort of felt a lot more confident about myself and about everything I was doing over those couple of years and um, you know, I was, you know, started playing really good cricket for Sydney Uni, the club for a while and, um, yes, yeah, great couple of years.
do you mind if I just really refresh your memory with a couple sure. standouts? Please do. I mean, one, one would be the continuation of your dance career. <laughs> <laughs> Not just on a Wednesday night, but also Palladian dance. Yes. Yes, that was good. Um, that <laughs> we unfortunately didn't win, but uh, no, we had a good we had a good go at that dance. We also the Palladian choir. I definitely had a formative moment. I would say actually a real scarring moment <laughs> in my only year in the Palladian choir, which was in 2015, my first year. I think. I think this is a an experience most people will be able to relate to in terms of worst nightmares, which is basically being called out to sing in front of everyone. And and there was this practice session we were having in the chapel where uh, the girl who was leading the session basically said, someone's off. Uh, and it's in this group. Jack, can you just sing your section uh, in front of everyone. So, that that part one is my worst nightmare anyway, right? Oh so, I sing my section, which is horrific. <laughs> and then she goes, oh, yeah, it was you. <laughs> so, I've gone from part one to part two, my worst nightmare immediately. And uh, and that was really, um, yeah, scarring, scarring for me. And uh, I didn't return to choir the next year. So, not as much chance of you being labelled the Palladian hero. Certainly not a Palladian hero in any way, shape or form, yeah. On the uh, on the back on the sporting field, I mm. heard multiple times about a certain hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Again, not my finest moment, although this one I, I do enjoy talking about a little bit more. So, we had a, a practice game before the girls' hockey comp. Um, which was basically the girls' team played against a ragtag boys' team. So there was a few. There was like a handful of guys that actually played hockey, and then basically we just filled the team with anyone that was keen to play. Which was what well, was me. I'd never played hockey before. Uh, anyway, so we um, we went out and played this game, and I think it was a pretty close game. It was might have even been tied up at the end of the game, and I was not particularly familiar with – actually, not familiar at all with the rules of hockey, really. Um, but I was in, like, decent shape and so I could could have – I was sort of getting around the field okay and, and making myself somewhat useful. Anyway, um, we sort of got to the – this is, like, the last play of the game and I – so, there is a rule in hockey, which I now know, but at the time I didn't which is that for a goal to be scored, you have to touch it in the goal square. You can't score from outside of the goal square. And so, I like I'd sort of found space up near the goal and Vince sees this and gives me this through ball from like about halfway and I've got to work pretty hard to get there (laughs) but there's no one in front of me, right? So, I'm like sprinting for this ball. This is the moment. This is the moment to win the game. I'm like sprinting for this ball. I'm like, it's a, probably a 50-meter sprint. Like I was gassing it. And um, and I can then, as I sort of get in line with the ball and sort of caught up to it, I now realize that this ball is going in the goal. 
And I'm like, this is amazing. We're going to win the game. Vince has scored this amazing goal. Like, I'll just escort it in. And, uh, and Vince is the hero. We win the game. Everyone's happy. So, in my mind, we're about to win the game. I'm about to be a great teammate. I'm not taking Vince's goal off him. And it's just fantastic. And uh, what actually happened? So, obviously, now knowing that the goal, I had to be touched. I had to touch the ball for it to be a goal, mm. which I didn't do. Um, so, I've ruined that part of it. <laughs> but also, I've also lost a little bit of spatial awareness. And as I'm escorting this ball into the goal, I haven't slowed down. And I have absolutely <laughs> crash-tackled this goal. And I and I, I fully knocked it over. And, like, this thing was not light at all. And I, yeah. So, I've absolutely cooked the play and crash-tackled the goal and... So, I sort of stood up <laughs> and I looked back at the field and every single player is on the ground <laughs> laughing, like almost in tears and uh, it is <laughs> a humbling moment. A humbling moment. But, but, you know, a good story, I think. There were, there were high, highs and lows. Uh, there was definitely highs and lows. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, I mean, so much of college was was the sort of the little stuff, really. Yeah. I mean, not these big moments, but yeah. just going down to Ralph's, mm. sitting around, hungover, going to Hoochamama's, just yeah. just the little things, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of those little things. I um, I really made myself like, I think, I don't know if Ralph's hated me or loved me. I spent so much money there and, <laughs> and I would often just go there knowing that, people would be rolling through and just sort of linger, like just be like have coffee with someone knowing that someone else would come along where I could just jump on their table and I just would be there for hours <laughs> at a time sometimes. What was your order? Oh, I was a cappuccino to start with because those things had so much chocolate. They were just incredible. Um, and then I moved on to a flat white, graduated. But in terms of food, it was the number two omelette. Omelet. They were incredible. <laughs> <laughs> oh obviously, cash only. Obviously, obviously. Well, they never made money. They never sold anything at Ralph's, no. according to the tax office. The ATO does not need to know. Mm. So, we mentioned that back at school, you, you thought you were, you know, okay, relatively well-equipped to speak with girls, but- mm. Room for improvement. Mm, mm. Do you think you, uh, being in the co-ed environment, you started to sort of elevate your performance in that area? I think I definitely got better. I think I think I was actually always very good at talking to girls as friends. Mm. Uh, I think I definitely needed to work on my ability to, to chat up girls <laughs> in a flirty context. Um, but I, but I, I think I got a bit better. Certainly better than I was. I, I don't profess that I'm particularly skilled at it at all, but um, yeah, I improved, I think. I mean, I'll leave this submitter anonymous, but I did hear about one specific quote when you said, in a sort of life partner, <laughs> you were going to need someone who could, quote, make conversation out of wet cement, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> Gee, that's that's a concerning <laughs> quote to think back on. Wow. Was it about this time that you um, started to try and wooeth the lady, Georgia O'Grady? 
Uh, I, I couldn't tell you about timing. I certainly did spend some time at college uh, attempting to woo Miss O'Grady. Um, Any particular um, t- techniques that worked for you? Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, I see, we didn't really get together until years after college. Oh, okay. So, so I, so I, I would say... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I was doing at college didn't work. Did not work. Um, yep. But uh, I don't know. I, I have no real gems here. <laughs> and so you mentioned you'd started off with Vince, Alex, yeah. kind of coming from cricket. Are they are those the guys that you stayed really close to throughout college, or how did your friendship circle change? Um, I definitely stay close to Vince Alex the whole way through. Still, I'm extremely close with those guys. Um, it was funny because we had such a small year at Wes. Like, my year was like a 60-odd fresher intake. So, really small, actually. Um, and, it, and then almost half of them left after first year as well. So, we had a really small year in second year. Like, it was maybe 40 people. Um, and so... Yeah, we didn't have that many groups in our year because there wasn't that much room for it. And it was kind of like, it was a little bit, actually it was a really nice feel. It was kind of just like a one in, all in sort of, this is who we are the rest of our year and we're just mates. And we like, there was obviously closer mates than others, but um, it kind of, we just did a lot as a year group. There wasn't, there was no real clicks or anything like that, I don't think, right. which was nice. Yeah. So, you mentioned then Sydney Uni Cricket. So, you yeah. kind of spent most of that first year at Wes. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you would, you were doing a ton of academics. That was taking up most so, of your time. Obviously, yeah. Um, you started your first Sydney Uni Cricket te- season at the start of the end of 2015, I think? Yes. And you, uh, and you yes, started in right. fifth grade. I did start in fifth grade, yeah. Um, and and based on your your cricketing scores, which I've been through in detail, <laughs> looks like you had a, a a pretty decent run there. You took four for nine against UTS, five for thirty four against Manly, and then you hit twenty eight against Randwick. Um, you were elevated to fourth grade, took five for nineteen against the Western Suburbs, mm. and then now you're in third grade, mm. and you take a string of three for three for two for three for, and then a three for in the. Uh, Grand final against East. It feels like it was all coming together for you. It was. It was definitely a good year. It was the best cricket I've I've played ever. Um, sort of. Yeah. Just found some really good form and and gotten a good team, um, which was really fun. Like it was. Yeah. So I started playing. Yeah. End of 2015, and that season went through to about April 2016, and it was actually great because. Uh, yeah, it was just another another community. Like, there's some really really good blokes there. Um, and sort of so I played through the summer holidays as well, and um, that was good. So it kept me busy, and um, and yeah, we ended up winning that the third grade grand final at the end of that year, which which was awesome. Um, that was pretty yeah, just unreal experience. Um, and yeah, I, I was yeah fortunate to to play well that year, and actually. Um, sort of ended up, yeah, just had a really good good season and and was sort of lucky that that flowed on into um sort of being part of the the 
training squad for the next season. So we did a big off season yeah. as it was sort of in air quotes the elite athlete program. Not all of us. Like I mean, I was I was a talented athlete, <laughs> not elite. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a really good year. And was it a case of sort of practice makes perfect, and you were really you know, putting in the hours, or did, were things just kind of clicking? Yeah, no, I, I think I I definitely trained hard that year. Like I remember. Yeah, there was a few days. Like, I remember getting up at, like, sort of 5.30 a.m. the day after Anzac Day to drive to a cricket training. And um, I think, like, I definitely sort of worked hard that year. But it was also, I think, just um, it was really nice to be in that context where I was playing in a good team and I think it was quite different to school as well where you sort of were trusted to just do your role. I think school was a bit of a frantic setup where you kind of felt like you had to do everything like you were batting and bowling and I think uni was nice where you just got you trusted everyone else and you had your role and um and I just sort of felt quite confident to go out and and do what I needed to do and so I think yeah it was probably a combination of yeah just feeling confident um and also yeah putting in the the work so you won the premiership that year Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. You were best and fairest for third grade, and for the club. For actually. the club, yeah. Oh, don't 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 grow <laughs> that achievement. And then along the way, there you had um, your uni games tour to Sri Lanka, right? Mm. Or it was from the you done the uni games to get in. Yes, so I snuck onto that tour without actually deserving to be on because <laughs> uh, because I hadn't gone to uni games the year before. Uh, okay, um, but so they had won and. There was a few players that had to pull out of that tour because they were no longer at uni or, or couldn't go for whatever reason. So I was one of the lucky few that snuck onto the tour uh, by taking someone else's spot, <laughs> and that was just a ridiculous experience. Yeah. What was uh, what was ridiculous? Well, so we so yeah. So for context, like the uni games comp for everyone really in Australia is a is a piss take, like. You fly to usually to the Gold Coast, and you know, like we would, you'd play blokes who would rock up to the game in wedding dresses and still drinking from the night before, and, <laughs> and just like really, it was not about the cricket; it was about being away with with your team and, and having fun for most people. But for whatever reason, for cricket, there was this prize on the line for whoever won that cricket comp, which was an all expenses trip to Sri Lanka to play in the World Campus Cricket Finals, which was hosted by Red Bull, which meant that so, – so Sydney Uni won the year before, so that was the 2015 Uni Games, which qualified us for the 2016 World Campus mm. Finals. Um, and so we basically rocked up to Red Bull headquarters – on the day we were flying out, they gave us this big presentation about, you know, like, good luck on the tour. Like, they were very excited about it. Um, and we flew, yeah, flew to Sri Lanka. Everything was paid for. So, flights, uh, accommodation, food, travel within Sri Lanka, all paid for. We didn't pay, literally didn't pay anything. Yeah. And um, so, we arrived in Colombo and uh, there is a bus waiting for us with, Team Australia on the side of the bus in like green and gold font. And we were like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and we get to this five star hotel and 
on our beds are our like training kit and playing kit, which is like green and gold. Like it's got like Team Australia on it. Yeah. On your kit, and we were like, oh my, like this is pretty serious. Ridiculous. Yeah, 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 this is very serious. And um, and we were like, I was a third grade cricketer. Most of our team was between sort of first grade and third grade, mm. which is not bad cricket, but it's not. It's not by any means exceptional cricket. And what we didn't realise is that the other teams that were going were were seriously good cricketers. The Sri Lankan team had four test cricketers in their team. And so, we, we were just so far out of our depth. It wasn't <laughs> funny. And like, but but to everyone in Sri Lanka, we it was like the, such a big deal. Like, yeah. we would walk up. You know, you get to the hotel lobby in your training year and you'd be signing. We were signing autographs for like 20 minutes in the morning because people in the hotel see us in green and gold kit and they go, that's their Australian cricketers. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> it was just a completely surreal experience. We got absolutely pumped in the cricket because we were out of our depth. Yeah. But, um, you know, we we probably punched a little bit above our weight given how how out of depth we were. We played okay. Um yeah, it's just such a cool thing to do. And how were you um, sort of geographically that tour? You managed to sort of <laughs> stay within the, <laughs> the rest of the group. That's a very the no good leading question. <laughs> I'm not leading towards anything in particular there. <laughs> well, yeah, so we, as I said, we, we uh, were beaten quite convincingly in the early stages of the tournament. So, it meant that... Uh, when we went from Colombo to Gaul for the second stage of the tournament, which was the finals, which we would not be participating in given we had already been knocked out, it meant that we had a week of holiday basically where we had, <laughs> had no no cricket to prepare for. We weren't doing uni. We just were literally on holidays and getting food and drinks supplied for free. <laughs> and we so the first night we were in, uh, we went down to Gaul. The, for one night, we were staying just down the road from everyone else. Um, for whatever reason, they weren't enough room. So, that night, when we were staying separately, that night we had this uh, big like celebration dinner to celebrate the launch of the finals. And there were fire breathers and dancers and it was like this massive, elaborate like night. And uh, open bar, so there was, you know, beers and vodka Red Bulls just getting thrown at you. And because, so, there was only four teams. So, there four teams in the finals. Four teams had been knocked out. England had also been knocked out. So, we were kind of on the same page, into, like, culturally and also, like, mm. not playing cricket anymore. Because I think it, maybe the UAE and another team had also been knocked out, but obviously weren't drinking given they were, you know, Muslim nations and... Um, so basically, there was our team and the English team were, were pretty keen to get quite drunk, and, and we did. And um, I sort of got to a point, it was probably like eleven at night or something. And I, I don't remember it clearly, but I, but I basically just took myself to bed. Well, I tried to <laughs> <laughs> because I, I knew that I was not well yep. and I needed to just get to bed. That's where I needed to be. Responsible decision. So, I, well, I thought so at the time. You would think so. 
So, I left that hotel knowing that I needed to just go down the road to our hotel, which is not far at all. It was probably only 200 meters, but for whatever reason, I decided that there was a tuk-tuk outside and I thought, I'll just get it. It'll cost me 20 cents. Like, who cares? So, for context, the hotel we had been staying at in Colombo was called Cinnamon. The hotel we moved to in Gaul for that night was called Citrus. But in my head, I told the tuk-tuk driver to drive to Cinnamon. Um, What I didn't realize was that me... So, at this point, I'm kind of like half asleep, stumbling around, like not aware of what's going on really. So, I just sort of slouched into the back of this tuk-tuk and just said, can you please take me to Cinnamon? And he said, okay. Gave me a funny look. He said, okay. Then I don't really look about where we're going. It should have been a really literally two-minute drive (laughs) down the road. But what I didn't realize is that Cinnamon was about 15 k's away (laughs) in the wrong direction. (laughs) And I didn't realize. So, what's happened is the tuk-tuk driver's done a 180 to where we're supposed to be going and just starts driving out the other side of Gaul. And I sort of come to because like basically you're on the beach and then about 100 meters back is just jungle and you just hit jungle, like very dense jungle for a long way. Like that's all yeah. on the coast. And so, I, I sort of come to maybe like, I don't know, 10 or 20 minutes into this drive maybe and we're just in jungle, like pitch black and I'm just sort of like, oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. And I just like said, oh, can you just drop me off here? Like I just, I just got like panicked. I was like, oh, this is not good. I'm just going to get off and sort out what's going on. So, like, can you just drop me off? I paid him and he, and then he just drove off and I was like, all right, all right, what's going on? What's going on here? And I just sort of like did a 360 and I, it is pitch black and it is just dense jungle around me with no one in sight, no sounds, no lights. And I was just like, mm, okay, this is, I've really cooked this. This is not good. So I sort of, then I tried to call um, the Red Bull, like, sort of manager who's running the tour, and I couldn't get, didn't have any phone signal. So I was like, all right, this is bad. So I, I at this point, I think I realized that we'd been going the wrong way. So I started walking back the way we'd come from on the tuk tuk. And, I reckon I walked for like an hour and a half and I just didn't see anything. And then I sort of at one point turn around and there's just like a stray dog just sort of following me, <laughs> like just like 20 meters behind, just sort of watching me. It's a bit of a coyote. Yeah, so, it, was, it wasn't big, it, but it was a bit scrappy. And oh. and then I looked around like 20 minutes later and then there's two dogs and I was <laughs> like, oh, this is just really not good. And I and I kind of I think I remember like sort of I was so drunk still, but I like sort of half like doing this sort of jog home and and like half like walking and anyway I was I was like quite like I was freaking out of it. I was like, this is just not going to end well. I'm just going to end up on the side of the road here, and it's going to be really bad. Anyway, I eventually I just kept walking, and eventually this tuk tuk went past, and I flagged him down and. And I and I told him the right hotel uh, and that he dropped me off at, which and and it was a fair drive still after I got in this tuk tuk. Like I, I had got myself so lost. So you would have been walking for. A, I would have. A little, I was a gone. Yeah, I was so screwed. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, eventually I made it home, which for you, yeah, just a ridiculous scenario to get to be in. Yeah. So I'm going to jump forward a little bit to the summer of 2016-17. Yep. So, you've done second year of college. Mm-hmm. You had a few stress fractures at the end of that year, ahead of that yes. cricket season, right? In my back, yes. What was that from? Just too much too much cricket? Pretty much, yeah. I'd sort of like, I'd started changing my action a bit um, yeah. to try and bowl faster and basically just meant... My back was getting put in the wrong position and, and probably just overdoing it a bit as well. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty typical injury for, for guys that age if they're bowling a lot. So, yeah, so stress is in my lower back. And then you tore your meniscus, right? Water skiing. I did. Up yeah. at the Hawkesbury. Up at the Hawkesbury. Yeah. So, yeah, because I had stress fractures, I was basically, that was my season done. And uh, so, Angus, Matt Harrison and I went up to the Hawkesbury. Tom Malloy and, and Bell met us there for, I think, a day. But we basically, yeah, we um, sort of had a dinghy, an old surfboard without any fins on it and a rope. And that was how we how we started basically water skiing was on this surfboard. Um, what could go wrong? Using an old croquet stick <laughs> as like a handle. And uh, yeah, what could go wrong with that? And um, it actually worked very well for about two or three days. Huh. And uh, then, yeah, I just, it was very innocuous. I just like basically twisted my knees. I fell off once and I I knew that it was not good. It was in a lot of pain. And what actually had happened is I I think I'd already torn it possibly a long time ago, but the the sort of flap of meniscus that had torn got folded under, which meant that mm. I couldn't straighten my legs anyway. Mm. So uh so that happened and I that happened late in the day. So I couldn't get home that night. So I basically just had a lot of panadol and a lot of beers and had an awful sleep mm. on the couch. Um, but the next day, yeah, so went home, went and saw, probably saw the physio or something. And he said, yeah, you've, you've told me meniscus, you probably want to have surgery on it. Um, which is what we did. Um, so basically pretty sort of just day surgery. They just basically cleaned it up, put it back in the right place and, and put me in a knee brace. And cause, cause the meniscus was really slow to heal. It means you have to sort of lock it. Like zero movement, zero weight on it for like a couple of weeks, um, which was yeah quite frustrating. But anyway, um, so yeah, that was yeah that was the meniscus saga. And then talk me through from there. You started feeling a bit of pain in the other yeah. thigh. Yeah. So because yeah, I was sort of in this knee race and on crutches and couldn't put any weight on my left leg and. In that, I sort of had a six-week recovery period before I was going to be back on my both feet and, and exercising. And in that sort of six weeks, I, yeah, started to feel some pain in my right thigh, um, which I asked the physio about and he sort of said, well, it kind of makes sense because that leg is wearing all the weight at the moment. You're not doing anything with your left leg and it kind of makes sense that um, it would be sore because it's just working a lot harder. And that kind of made sense to me too. And then, um, 
but the pain sort of was still there. It wasn't going away. And anyway, so I got to, got to the six-week period, went and saw the surgeon again. And he was happy with how the left leg looked, but I just sort of mentioned, yeah, like I've got this pain. And by then there was a little bit of like a lump um, sort of at the bottom of my sort of thigh. And he sort of said, oh, it kind of makes sense, but it also that kind of looks like a bit of a bone spur. I, I just want to x-ray it. Um, and I was kind of thinking like, fuck me, like, because he mentioned bone spur and he's like, if there's a bone spur, we have to do surgery to get rid of that. And I was just like, at this point, I was so over it. Like, mm. I'd just come, yeah, so it had been stress fractures into meniscus. I hadn't I'd just like finished this six weeks in a knee brace and I was like, oh my God, I don't want to do surgery again. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so he sent me for this x-ray and then, um, yeah, yeah, like it was uh, certainly... A, an unexpected meeting so i like did the x-ray and then waited around for like an hour and he called me and he was like he was like really kind of like shaken up and um he basically just said like he was just he just talked me through it he just said like this this is the x-ray see all this sort of calcification here like that's a that's a tumor and i think as soon as he said that sentence, I was just kind of like, I just like didn't, I, I think I just fully lost where I was for a minute. Like I just, it just completely hit me like a, like a ton of bricks and I just sort of like, I think I sort of just tuned out from what he was saying for about a minute and, and then I maybe came back to and he was kind of like talking me through like, um, yeah, it's a bone tumor. It's bone cancer. It's called osteosarcoma, and um, and you know we'll get you to see someone and and go from there. And and I was kind of just like, what, what, like, it's just not the word you expect to hear at all. And um, it just sort of came out of nowhere, really. So yeah, it was a, a weird, weird day. I can't really imagine what it was like to get that news. You know, after a yeah, you know, what's what you think is kind of relatively routine, mm. um, and especially you know you were by yourself when you got it. Mm. How did you sort of process it? Um, like <laughs> I, I was honestly just in shock for for quite a while. So I think, like, basically he sort of sat me down and told me all this, and then he said, like, I, while you're here, I think. We should get an MRI, so we'll do that in two hours. And so I sort of said, "Oh, okay." And so I called mum, and she was like about to step onto the tennis court. And I think it was a complete shock for her too, because I kind of said, "Like, I don't know what I said. I, I said something like, yeah, like they've done an X-ray and they found a tumor. Um, they want to do an MRI, and uh, and yeah, and and I think." Same for her. Like, I think it just didn't confuse. She was like, oh, shit. Um, I'm just about to go on the tennis court. Like, maybe I'll come over after to the hospital. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you should <laughs> maybe come now. Like, it, it just, it was just like something that just you don't expect to hear. And it just like didn't make sense to either of us. And then I think it, it pretty quickly actually hit her. And I think, um, yeah, it was just awful news really to get over the phone but yeah it was 
it's just like to hear like cancer and tumor just like was so jarring I think and so unexpected and I was just kind of like what like it, it just was so it took me a long time like like at least a few days to even realize like this was what was going on I think like like I, I literally got home and I think for for we had about two days till we were gonna see the um the oncologist and his team and we just didn't really know what to tell anyone like because we didn't know anything at that point firstly and so like obviously my like parents and my sister we like knew what was going on harry was in japan on a holiday that i had to pull out of so there was like harry hugo charlie and then so angus Lockie, myself and hunter were supposed to go with our brothers basically so i pulled out uh, Nabes jumped in for me, um, but that was that was one of the worst points in that whole experience. Was honestly calling Harry when he was over there, and it was just so just so shit. Like just feeling so isolated from from him at that point, um, and giving that news like that. Um, but yeah, it was it was a weird, it was an awful couple of days really because we just didn't know anything, and and we so it made it really hard to talk to anyone about it. Um, but uh, yeah, in those early days after you'd got the news, mm. was it something you wanted to keep pretty tightly held? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was. It was until we knew more. Like, mm. so, I think it became clear to me pretty quickly that, like, obviously, this is a big deal. It was going to change a lot about what I was doing that year. Like, it was going to affect whether I was at college and at uni and that sort of thing. And so, and it was also something that it was just going to be news that people talked about. Like, mm. and so, I decided, I think, pretty early that I wanted a pretty like clear message to go out and I wanted it to go out pretty wide from me because I didn't think it was a good idea for like sort of like a Chinese whisper situation to happen where some people knew the full story and then some people would get told a little bit of a less of a version of events or, or you know, slightly different things. And and so basically once once we had that meeting with the the oncologist and I had an idea about what the year was going to look like and what I had actually been diagnosed with. Um, I, yes, I put out a Facebook status and just said, um, like, it is obviously not a great way to tell people news, but I thought that's, that's how I can reach the widest group that I know and I can send them the exact same information. They can all get at the exact same time and, that way, everyone's on the same page, and I don't need to answer a hundred different questions for a hundred different people. They've all got the same information, so yeah, that was how I wanted to do that. Yeah, and pretty quickly after that, you started your chemo yep. and the, the operation yep. on your femur, mm-hmm. um, which ended up being almost a year, really, uh, mm. in and out of hospitals. Yeah, best part of, yeah. So, I started in Feb and then ended treatment in September. Mm. Um, 
and probably spend the majority of that more time than not was spent in hospital. Um, so yeah, I did. Yeah, so five five week uh, chemo rotations mm. where the first week uh, was a couple of days in hospital, and then like a really sort of rough, like sort of ten day period where I was at home, but just really felt awful. Mm. And then probably had um, a week. In the middle where I felt okay, but was just sort of at home, generally just chilling, watching TV. And then I had the last two weeks of the cycle were um, in hospital, feeling not great, but not as intense as the first. So, that was the cycle. I did two cycles before surgery, um, then had the, the surgery on my on my femur, and then did three more chemo cycles after that. And, uh, yeah, so finished up treatment in, yeah, September that year. Yeah. People often use words like you know, a fight <clears throat> or a battle with cancer. <clears throat> Did it feel like a fight to you? I honestly hate those words around cancer. Um, mostly because I hate the fact that people say you you can lose a battle like mm-hmm. that. Like I don't think that's – I just don't think that's the right way to talk about it. Um it was really grueling, and I like. I suppose I understand. Yeah, I sort of understand the term. You know, it was a fight or a battle because it is really tough. But it, but yeah, I, for me, they're not terms I like being used around that sort of stuff because I think it's you basically. There's no fight in it. It's it's you turn up and you just cop this thing mm. like chemo chemo for me everyone i'm sure has different experience was it it was awful i'd like mm. it was really a really really difficult thing for me um and i and i really struggled with it um like physically it just felt felt so awful and and i lost so much weight and um and then that sort of obviously the mental effects of that i just sort of it's just like, yeah, it was so tired for so long and, and like really sort of, you know, like when you stop recognizing yourself in the mirror and like those sorts of things are, are just awful experiences. Like, and so I sort of really didn't feel like myself for most of that year. Like I just felt like this guy, this sort of bald guy in the mirror who was just like sort of just kept rocking up from punishment thinking you like and just just hoping that you know at the end of that road there was there was good times and it would be worth it basically yeah but it was it was really tough yeah what about your sort of family and friends around that time i mean was it hard to watch not only how it impacted you but also just how it was affecting them yeah it was yeah like i think in some ways, I think I had an easier job where I it was happening to me and, I, like, I didn't really have control over the situation, but I I was in it, whereas I think, like, my family were and always have been so incredibly just, like, without any question, just supportive and have always been there with sort of no judgment, but... It was really hard, I think, yeah, to see. Like, I think you would feel quite helpless in that situation for a lot of the time where there was just nothing. 
they could do to make me feel better and and it was just a really awful thing that they just kind of had to watch and so i think yeah it was um that was tough to to see that and and yeah know that they were feeling kind of helpless um was really tough yeah and quite a different experience i think yeah I mean, you, you're really going through the worst of times in this year. Yeah. And, and pretty much the most consistent question that I got from all of you, you know, your friends yeah. Yeah. is how, how did you just kind of get through it? I mean, mm. what, what kept you going in literally the worst situation? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, I think, yeah, honestly, it was, there's some days where it was literally about just getting to the next hour. Mm. It was like, it was honestly just, yeah, it was at that point, just honestly just breaking it down to let's just tick off another hour today and and just do it in chunks. It was sort of, it's one of those things, yeah, where like, when you don't have a choice, you just have to get through it and you find a way, like, and you just do it in, in small chunks and, and I don't know, like, there were, there was a lot of bad days that year. There were, there was definitely some good days as well. Um, and yeah, it was the year of, it was the year of 21st. So there was some awesome nights, some really special nights mixed in amongst that, which, you know, you sort of, you take a lot out of those. Like I think I got a lot of energy out of those nights, and it didn't. I couldn't go to everything, but where it lined up, and I could go to those events. It was that really sort of I think lifted me a lot. And um, yeah, but but on those days where you just feel awful, it was uh, yeah. I, I don't have a, a golden thing that got me through it. It was just. Just one step at a time. Just one, just literally one foot in front of the other, and and you just keep going, basically. Yeah. And at some point, you would have got the news that the treatment was working. Yeah. And that the cancer was going into remission. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, at after the first two rounds uh, of chemo before the surgery. They said that I think it had been about sort of 85% effective, which which basically meant like at that point they killed 85% of the tumor and um, they were always planning on removing the whole thing with surgery anyway. Um, but what that meant was anything that we couldn't see was 85% likely to have been killed, I suppose. And... Um, so, anyway, so the surgery was successful. I got clear margins. So, at that point, after the surgery, I basically was told I was cancer-free. Oh. And then, the, so, the chemo from that point onwards was was basically precautionary to basically wipe out anything that we couldn't see, we didn't know was there, but, but just in case there had been something missed, that was what that chemo was for. So... Mentally, that was quite tough because after surgery, you go, well, I think we've got it all, but let's just wipe you out for a few more months just in case, oh. which is tough to like get motivated for. But um, 
Anyway, I, th- I actually, the initial plan was for me to do four rounds after surgery. And so, at the end of, or near the end of my fifth t- round total, third after surgery, they said, actually, we're not going to do the next round, which was a pretty amazing, yeah. like, little boost, thinking that I was strapping in for five more weeks and then actually was done. So, that was pretty special. That was, like, a, <laughs> a very good day. Um but yeah, so that was, yeah. As soon as I got to that point, feeling quite confident that yeah, you know, the surgery went well. We've done all this chemo, like, I yeah, this is behind me now. It was basically where we were in September. We got clear scans, and we were like, all right, we're done with it now. That was yeah, what we thought. Mm. Yeah. And so you started having to reintegrate into yeah. the world i mean you've been you know popping into 21st and the like but yeah i mean what what was that like mm. and i i know you one of the first things back that you did was the filete dinner at wes yeah yeah no it was um it was a funny period because like i was so i don't know like i i'd really just felt like i'd been put on a shelf for six months a bit like i'd just been so out of so much of the world um that it was it was a really weird thing just getting back into normal life but um yeah for later was was pretty cool so that was like the end of our college year dinner basically celebrate all the third years that were leaving and even though i hadn't been at college i'd kind of been around a bit and they sort of included me in the dinner which was really special um and basically um sort of every third year had something said about them about what they'd sort of contributed to the college and and um it's just sort of a nice send-off and and um they did a really sort of special send-off for me which i didn't expect at all and sort of had this sort of standing ovation and it was all um yeah, pretty amazing, and and I think actually the most memorable moment for me that night was um, after we were sort of leaving the dining hall. I was trying to find Harry, and I just got a message from him saying, "Can you just come to my room for a beer?" And uh, I sort of rocked up there, and and we basically just cried and had a hug for about. 10 minutes and it just yeah was um yeah i think probably one of the most memorable things ever for me like just we sort of just didn't say anything it was just sort of a bit of a an acknowledgement of (laughs) what a fucked year it was and and just so glad to have been through the other side of that um and uh, that was a that was a really special night no, like I'm very. <laughs> it was very funny though, going from those those really special moments to <laughs> to the end of the night, which was basically me throwing up in Seb Parsons' <laughs> bathroom after trying and neighing and just painting his walls in vomit, and uh, it was a real, you know, real highs and lows, real highs and lows, rather roller coaster. That's right. <laughs> So I spent the next morning in night. his bathroom just cleaning up my vomit. <laughs> just uh you know, it was it was a special night regardless. Not even a standing ovation for a Rawson <laughs> hero. 
precludes you <laughs> cleaning your own vomit. No, exactly. Some of it, you still got to do what you got to do. That's right. Yeah.